Hey homebodies, it's Robin and Molly and we're here to remind you that if you're looking to buy a home or refinance to be sure to check out our platinum sponsor Aaron Schmitz with Epic Mortgage. Aaron is licensed in Minnesota and Wisconsin and is a top lender in the area. You can find his information on our website homeiswherethemurderis.com in all our show notes and on all of our social media platforms. Again, if you're looking for the best in lending, check out Aaron Schmitz with Epic Mortgage. Hi, I'm Molly. No, <laughs> I am not. What? I am. Oh, you're Robin. Wow. Anyways, I'm Molly and you're Robin. And this is Home is Where the Murder is. I'm taking it all. I don't even How know. How are you doing? Not well, apparently. Wow. I announced. And I haven't even had any coffee yet today. <gasps> I can't even explain what happened there. I can't explain what happened there. I'm terrified i'm worried i'm concerned yeah and i like hackled into my identity my- theft is not a joke robin <laughs> yikes um hi everyone i'm robin i'm you here sure? i'm here uh, yeah are you i don't know why on earth i would ever say your name that is so screwed up i'm worried for you i am too holy moly <laughs> um now people are gonna be real confused who is who yeah right i don't i don't know what i'm i'm sorry we gotta move on we let's move past this everyone together happy monday happy monday um so i gotta tell you something funny okay i was up at our studio and uh doing some cleaning because uh the newspaper guy came by to take our photo so that was fun um, but before you got up here, I was playing some music on my phone. Yep. And I'm looking around and I'm like, crap, where's my, where's my phone? So I literally went downstairs and searched and searched my car left and right. Could not figure out where the hell my phone was. I'm like, well, it must be upstairs somewhere. I come upstairs. I'm like stumped. Like where the hell could it be? Uh huh. And then I go over to my phone to turn the music off so that I can feel focus on where to find my phone right and i was just about to call you to have you call my phone when it dawned on me that i had my phone so you are really winning this morning yeah yeah but in my defense my morning started off a little rough okay so i stopped at the quick trip in johnson creek yeah and I, this woman asked me if I wanted a snack. She was giving out samples like Terry does. Yeah. And I said, no, I'm fasting. And that led to blood draws. Oh, good. And she's like, where do you go to get your blood draw? And I'm like, Aurora? She's like, good. And I'm like, okay. Now, Aurora in my area is like all of the hospital system. It's like the clinics, the hospital. It's, it's huge. So I'm like... When I said Aurora, she's like, good. I'm like, what difference does that make? Right. And she's like, I had this girl once. And she didn't know what she was doing. And she starts talking about how she was getting poked and poked in the vein. Oh. Over and over again, she kept saying veins and blood and poked. And I have to stand there and be polite. 
Her name was Cheryl, and it was awful. Quick trip, Cheryl in Johnson's Creek. What you doing? Very nicest lady in the world. I had a nice time chatting with her. If it were about anything else. I don't know if you did. Because I don't know if, if new listeners, blood draws are the one thing that I can't handle on, on earth in general. I, I run away when they try to take my blood. I have to be held down. I scream. I cry. It's an embarrassment. But I do it. Just who I am. Yeah. I don't like to talk about it. And I'm someone that like watches them uh, put it uh, in. And I'm like, cool. No. So yeah, it was it was so funny how I was just I was what was I grabbing? Um coffee, I think. I was just getting yeah, I was just getting coffee. Because you're fasting. Because I'm fasting. And all and of a sudden get, you don't get a treat. Nope. I don't. You're like, Cheryl, I cannot have a treat. And she I don't I don't even know how it happened, but all of a sudden we're talking about her getting and she's pointing out her veins to me. She's like, I have great veins. My husband has great veins too. And I'm like, I have to get out of here. I couldn't I couldn't believe it. I'm like, what? And I walked back to the car and I was like, in why do these things happen? I don't know. Like luck. I don't know. You're lucky. Yeah. So that was so yeah, so that probably explains why I was finding a new identity today because I was really and struggling. You're just a little off. A little off today. So but just it, thinking about Cheryl in her veins. Blah! She's got some good veins though. <laughs> so gross. But that's that's how my day started. Yeah. You doing all right? Doing good. Yeah. Doing good. Yeah. Just working. Yeah. Just getting by. <laughs> awake awake and not crying, as they say. You aren't crying? No, not currently. <laughs> that's what the saying is in uh, Ireland or Switzerland yeah, that's or right. something. When they, somebody asks you, hey, how you doing? And instead of saying, oh, living the dream, they answer awake and not crying. Nice. <laughs> and, I, and I like that. Yeah. Awake and not crying. Oh, I love that. So, yeah. Well, good. So we're doing, uh, the podcast is still doing real well. So thanks to our listeners. We've gotten a lot of new listeners this week. Yep. Two of which actually work for our real estate company. Uh, the Robbie and Stephanie Byerly have started listening and they're binging it. Yep. I was getting messages yesterday yep. she, and they want to be on the show they and they want to do, they want to research a murder uh-huh. and do it. And I'm like, you're, you're in. in. Right. You're in. So it was super funny though, because she's messaging me as she's listening to these episodes yep, and she's too. making fun of me for not being able to say werewolf, Where werewolf yep and she's making fun of me for not being able to say reg- regularly god yep. dang it and then my favorite was when she told me the that Edgeen I, the Edgeen one, yeah yeah she told me i would be a terrible lesbian because oh. of the volve situation yep. yep so if anyone was hoping to convert me i i've been told i would be a terrible you lesbian because i don't know what a volve is just can't <laughs> volve. she sent you pictures apparently she did she, she sacrificed her search history her google search yeah so yeah. she did she's like sending me pictures and i'm like i know what it is now i didn't know that volve was plural for vulva yeah and you know what you're like i am well i'm well searched and known now. i know now so thank you to everyone that continues to point that out but <laughs> Yeah, I, there are things I don't know, and there are things I can't say, and it's just, it is who I am. Yeah. It is who I am. It is who I am. I am is who I am. <laughs> is who I am. So, yeah. So, we're happy to have new listeners on. Yeah. I also found out that my son's teachers are listening to our podcast. Yay. Well, and, my son's teachers right. listen, too. But I'm much closer to your teachers than I am my son's. My okay. son. Okay. Your son's teachers and I go out drinking together. Yes. I don't, I haven't gone drinking with my son's okay. teachers yet. And so... Fair. Right now, my vision of what they think of me is there's that tired mom that's never on time and always forgets to bring stuff to school for her kid. Yeah. That's who I think that they think I am because I am 
I am that person. So <laughs> I is who I is. It is, yes. <laughs> so they're listening. Logan's like, yeah, I told them about your podcast, and they said they're listening. I'm like, great. So hello to the water for water. God dang words, Waterford grade school teachers. Thanks for listening, and I'm sorry for always being late. But you're doing but a great she's job. She's not going to change. But I'm not going to change. I am. I, I, I is who I is. I is who I is. Golly gee, we are on fire today. Yep. So that's all I have for shout outs and updates, really. Yeah. So let's just, I don't know, you want to get into some murder? Let's do it. Okay. Let me just, let me just, there we go. Could you just? Shut up. You know what? I'm going to probably make a noise, but I have to move this. I have to move this. Okay. There we go. Okay. So I took a, a page out of your book and did a family murder. I'm glad you did, because mm-hmm. my next one probably will not be if I'm going to do the one I have in mind, and I think I will, because it's real good. Okay. So. Yeah, so this one um, happens in Pennsylvania. So we okay. I don't know if we've done a Pennsylvania one yet, but hmm. here we go. Yeah. So this is the Freeman Family Murders. Dennis and Brenda Freeman met in 1969 through their Jehovah's Witness Church. Oh. Yeah. In 1970, they got married, and eight years later, they bought a home located at 1635 Eret. And I'm going to spell this because I don't know if I'm saying it right, but it, to me, it says Eret. 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 Um, which is E H R E T. So take that as you want to. But Eret Lane in Allentown, Pennsylvania, also known as Salisbury Township. So they keep talking about it being in Salisbury Township, but the actual address is Allentown. Mistakes. Yes. Okay. And I, the whole time, all I could think about was a Salisbury steak with some gravy on it. Salisbury steak. So the whole time I'm listening to this murder, that's what I was thinking was, God, I could go for a Salisbury steak. Great. Dennis worked at a local school district as a custodian and Brenda was a homemaker. Also in 1978, they had their first child, Brian. Not wasting any time, they had their second child, David, who was born in 1979. So we got some Irish twins. Yeah. There is a photo online of these two boys, and when they were toddlers, they were super cute. I mean, I was like, oh, my heart. Yeah. They turn out to be dicks. Just so Oh, no. Yeah. Well, family murder. I, yeah. They turn I, out. I feel, I'm not I feel gonna, it coming. I'm not going to, like, try and sugarcoat this. They're, they turn into real dicks. Oh, but no. they were super cute toddlers. Yeah. So. In 1984, the baby of the family, Eric, was born, which would complete the family. Okay. So it's three boys and the parents. Brenda and Dennis. So sources say that Dennis and Brenda loved their boys very much, and they were devoted parents. They also were very set on making sure their boys grew up as active members in their church. Growing up, the boys would join their father as they walked neighborhoods, knocking on doors, and hoping to speak with people about their faith and hopefully convert them to the church. Now, I'm not a religious person, and I don't want to knock one specific religion, so I knock them all. This annoys the shit out of me. And I know I'm not the only person. But to any of our friends that are Jehovah's Witnesses, listen. Stop doing this. Just post online or something. Stop going to the doors. I mean, unless you've got an Amazon package, I don't want to hear it. So, like... Bring a gift. Yeah, bring a... Yeah, honestly, bring a gift. Yeah. And it's it's not just against Jehovah's Witnesses. It's pretty much anyone. I don't want to hear about whatever you have to preach, your business, whatever. Get get out of my face. Which is funny. What about solar panels? Oh, I fucking hate solar panels. <laughs> you guys, do is not... Is that worse even? Listen, 
Unless you're planning on living in the home for the rest of your life, do not put solar panels on your house because you have to pay off that loan to sell your house. So then you're paying for someone else to enjoy your solar panels. I knew this would get her riled up, everyone. Yeah. yeah. She's over there with this like vindictive look on her face. Uh-huh. She's like, there she goes. There she goes. So I got her all worked up. Yeah. She's forgot what she's even talking yeah. about. Why are now. we here? Why are we here? So who yeah. Is she? So yeah. So she's again. Molly. That's who she is. <laughs> So long story short, um, don't knock on people's doors to talk about your religion, and please don't get solar panels. Okay. The end. Anyway, so Brian, the oldest, was described as a charismatic and young man and enjoyed talking about his faith with people. At a young age, you might say he was good at what he was set out to do. David um, was a lot uh, looked up to his big, big brother. It's funny because I missed the D in David, so it says Davy. Davy. <laughs> So David was very much looked up to his older brother, but he was more introverted and quiet, whereas Brian was outgoing and liked talking to people. So they were a little bit of yin and yang, but they were very close. They were described as two peas in a pod and did everything together. Eric was also described as being the one that would kind of like instigate things, not in a bad way because they were both really good kids at the time, but he was the one that kind of was the leader of the pack, which makes sense because he's the oldest, Mm -hmm. so... Eric, um, oh, did I say Eric? I meant David. Sorry. I'm going to probably get names messed up a little you bit. Said if David, I, did David. Did I say David? Okay. So, yeah, Brian was outgoing. David was quiet. Eric, who is the younger brother, he's okay. about five or six younger. He's also outgoing like his older brother. He was athletic. Um, but he didn't have as close of a relationship because he was so much younger than them. So he was kind of out on his own a little bit. It wasn't like he was a loner. He was very good at making friends still, very popular, very kind. He just did things on his own, which makes sense when you're that age. Like my sister and I are six years apart and we lived different lives for a long time. Yeah. So, well, we still kind of do, but you know what I'm saying? Like, but as you get older, yeah. you start right. to, yeah. So, yeah, overall, the Freemans were a very loving family with great kids, but they, that happy family would change forever in February of 1995. Now, before I get into what happens to this family, I want to point one thing out. So we have the kids, David and Brian, okay? So Brian is the oldest, David is the middle child. But did you know that the pianist for Bon Jovi's name is David Brian? Yeah. And it's spelled the same way? Yes. Okay. No, I did not. I know you didn't know that. Okay. But the whole time I'm doing this, I kept writing out David and Brian. I'm like, no, I have to do Brian and David or all I'm going to think about is Bon Jovi throughout this entire case. Yeah. So. Okay. Good. I'm glad. I haven't done that in a while. There it is. Okay. Okay. Dennis's sister, Valerie, had gone over to the house on February 26, 1995, to see why her nephew, Eric, hadn't stopped by her house after school. It was strange for him to not stop by, so she went looking for him. She went to the home of her brother, Dennis, and sister-in-law, Brenda, and upon entry, went straight for Eric's room, assuming he would be inside doing homework or playing. Instead, what she found would haunt her for the rest of her life. Her precious 11-year-old nephew was lying in his bed, covered in blood. She screamed and ran out of the home and called 911. Yeah. Tactical officers arrived at the home and began clearing the property. Upon entry to the home, they immediately saw a baseball bat covered in blood. They made their way to the master bedroom, and the scene they saw was straight out of a horror movie. 
The room was just covered in blood splatter and was in and it was in this room that they found Dennis Freeman, who had been bludgeoned to death while he slept. The blood splatter was so violent that there was actually an outline on the wall of where someone would have been standing while the attack took place. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's a lot. Like a mental image, right? Yeah. They moved on to the next room, which was where Eric was, and they confirmed that he was also dead. He had been bludgeoned to death as well. Continuing on and clearing the house room by room, police make their way to the basement, which is where they find the body of Brenda Freeman. She was lying in a pool of blood and had clearly been bludgeoned to death with what they believed to have been a barbell, barbell accessory as one had been found next to her body. She had also been stabbed multiple times with a kitchen knife that was also found near her. Something to note at the time, it was assumed that the three bodies found in the home were the Freeman family, but they were beaten so badly that they were completely unrecognizable. Wow. Yeah. Police clear the rest of the home and do not find the two oldest boys, which raises the question, are they in danger or did they do this? What do you think? They did it. Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know how this, from all of the yeah. family I know, murders. there's no, yeah. no me sugarcoating this. Yeah, so. no. They do, however, find a pickaxe in the kitchen completely covered in blood, hair, and skin tissue. It seems as though the family were all killed with different weapons. So that's interesting. Right. Investigators evaluate the crime scene and come to the conclusion that the victims had been killed the night before. The home does not look to be ransacked or broken into, and based on the blood splatter, they believe they are looking for two to three suspects, which is fitting since they are missing two teenage family members. Right. They also notice that Brenda's black 1998 Pontiac Sunbird is missing from the home. Meanwhile, the community and law enforcement themselves are trying to wrap their heads around this horrific tragedy. The murders were absolutely brutal, but what brought officers to tears was the fact that an 11-year-old boy had been violently beaten to death when he should have been safe in his bed. As, and as evidence started to add up, the fact that his own brothers may have done this to him made the whole scenario even worse. I mean, this kid was very well loved. I mean, this is a small town. Everybody knew the family. Right. And this kid, the people that were doing these interviews said he was just the sweetest boy. Yeah. So it just really makes you wonder right. what could have possibly, what and could why? he have done to deserve right. that? Right. The next day, the bodies are positively identified using fingerprints and dental records. Law enforcement also was able to use blood evidence found on the weapons to confirm who was killed by what. Brenda had been beaten with the exercise bar and stabbed with the kitchen knife. One stab wound had punctured a lung and detectives said that she would have been alive for several minutes as her lungs filled up with blood, all while being hit in the head with the exercise bar. So a terrible way to go. That's sad. Yeah. It was then determined that the baseball bat is what was used to kill Dennis, who was the father, which means that the pickaxe was used to kill 11-year-old Eric. He had been struck about six to seven times and with such force that pieces of the wood handle were stuck in his wounds. Yeah. I know. This is terrible, isn't it? Yeah. I'm sorry. Law enforcement met with family members and learned that it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows in the Freeman home, and the issues date all the way back to when the two oldest boys were in middle school. 
It was about that time that David and Brian began feeling like they were missing out on a real childhood due to always having to be within the church. They were also upset about missing out on holidays, as Jehovah's Witnesses do not celebrate Christmas, birthdays, Halloween, etc. Their time in school was not going well either, as they would get picked on by the other kids as they were required to wear a suit and tie. So, you know. Yeah. So, and I, yeah. I remember when we were in school, we had, uh, when I was in Barneville, we had some Jehovah's Witnesses in our school. Yeah. And I remember at the time being younger not understanding why they that was the way they were and everything and then right. like as i got older you get to know them and you're like oh they're just normal people as well but, but it, it's tough when you're a kid and when you don't, you're a kid and, and you, you don't, don't get it exactly so and I, kids you know when you're different you're yeah you look different and you act different and you don't yeah it's you're gonna it's you can't avoid it yeah we try it we want to but it's kids being kids and not understanding right so. It wouldn't be long before the two boys were acting out and going against the rules that were put in front of them. They developed violent tempers, began skipping church, and even began abusing drugs and alcohol in their early teens. In fact, in 1992, the boys were put into an alcohol rehab program by their parents. And this was when they were in like 13, 14 years old. Yeah. Dennis and Brenda had hoped this would help lead them back to the church, but instead it did the complete opposite. It was at this rehab facility that Brian met a man who was a neo-Nazi. He had told Brian that he could do whatever he wanted and no one messed with him, which is exactly what Brian wanted in his life. So he told David and what he learned. Oh, I'm sorry. So he told David about what he learned and it wouldn't be long before they both fell right down the neo-Nazi rabbit hole. Mm. Yeah. While in high school, the boys began dressing in what they described as Nazi attire, dark uh, Doc Martin boots, army pants, n- uh, Nazi symbols. Yeah. Uh, they even shaved their heads. Now, these guys may have been 16 and 17 years old at the time, but they didn't look like it. Brian was six feet tall and 225 pounds, and David was 6'3", 240 pounds. They both got Nazi tattoos on their faces and necks and began to violently take out their anger on people, including their own father, who they had recently gotten into a fistfight with. They also got into a fist fight with the driver's ed teacher at the school. So he was apparently trying to break up a fight and they took it out on him. So not not doing so hot. I mean, these are a lot of like signs. Like They are. And you know what makes me upset about the driver's ed thing is like that guy's already facing danger every single day by getting behind the wheel with new drivers. Yeah. Now he's not even free to walk around to the school without someone beating him up. Right. What a dick move. Well, I mean, but I mean, the parents and like, like, yeah, like I'm not saying anything like that they should, but like, did they not like, they're like, hey, so there's something going on with our, our kids. Like they did. So what one thing I saw a program about was that they just didn't know how to control them because they were so big. Yeah. They were kids, but they were adult men, essentially. So, and they didn't know how to control them. And I I thought about it. I'm like, gosh, what would I do if I were in that situation? It's also like my brain goes to kick them out of the house, whatever, get rid of yeah. them. But that's also their kids. Right. And they're teenagers. And they're like, is this just some rebellious phase they're going through? So yeah. it just seems to have gotten out of control. The, like face tattoos. Like I know. Nazi stuff. Yeah. Like that, that's a whole nother level. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I know. I don't know. I don't know. I think I yeah. I don't know what I would do. I, I know. I, I hope know it never comes to like, that, but that's tough. Yeah, that's hard. 
Um, yeah. So Eric had become very afraid of his brothers at this point because he was still happy within the church and close with his parents because he was 11 at this yeah. point. This made him a target for their anger. So poor Eric was getting the brunt of whatever they were pissed off about, which is very sad to think about. In early February, Dennis tries to teach his boys a lesson by selling their car. He said, you can't go to skinhead meetings if you don't have a car to get there. This did not sit well with David and David and Brian. See, I almost said David Brian again. Um, which is. Yeah. yeah sorry. Jovi. sorry, guys. And apparently they went around school telling classmates that they would have killed their parents on the spot if they would have been there when he sold it. With this information, the newspapers are alerted to run the headline, Skinhead Brothers Sought in Slayings of Their Family. So at this point, after talking with the family, the evidence they've collected at the home, they absolutely believe that the brothers did this. They took off in the mom's car, and now we got to find them. I mean, I, I would draw that conclusion as well. Yeah. So the little bit of a kind of twist in this was that the family said to law enforcement, you don't want to be just looking for David and Brian. You also want to be looking for their cousin, Nelson Birdwell. I always want to say Bidwell. It's Birdwell. He's 18 years old and also a skinhead. Oh, no. Um, according to family family members, if Brian and David had a hand in these murders, so did Nelson. Oh, so now man. we are looking for three people. Yeah. Which is exactly what law enforcement <laughs> thought was the situation. Right. They said two to three. Yep. So officers put out a nationwide APB because at this point, the three men have gotten a pretty good head start. On the morning of March 1st, a tip comes in from a truck driver in Ohio. He says he had seen three men matching the description at a motel in Hubbard, Ohio on February 28th. Police make their way to the motel, but by the time they get there, the suspects were gone. The front desk clerk confirms that they were indeed at the motel, but they had checked out. Officers looked over the phone records from their room and saw two calls made, one to Domino's Pizza and the other to the unknown person in Michigan. I say the unknown person. There's yeah. an unknown person in Michigan. Upon further investigation, they tracked that number to a 22-year-old in Hope, Michigan, by the name of Frank Hess. So the Pennsylvania State Police called the Midland Police in Michigan to go over to the residence of Frank Hess, who just so happens to be a skinhead himself. They drive by the property, and sure enough, there is, a, is the 1998 black Pontiac Sunbird they were told to be looking for. So we now know that the skinhead gang is in Michigan, and now we're about to find out why. So after about an hour of surveillance, four men leave the residence and get into the 1998 Sunbird. They drove a short distance and went up a driveway into the woods. Officers parked and got out of the and got out of their cars and entered the woods on foot. They came up to the car, which was empty at that point, and they established that the suspects were inside a pole barn that was on the property. Backup is called and 10 more officers show up. They order the boys out of the pole barn and they come out visibly shaken as they had no idea they were being watched. Oh. Shocking. Like, yeah. I mean... And there's all, they're also still teenagers, too. Right, and that's the thing. Like, they're big and tough until... Until all of a sudden they're Until not. they're caught. Exactly. Yeah. All four placed under arrest after about 70 hours... I'm sorry, after 70, a 70-hour 70 manhunt for them. So it was about time to find out what had happened. So now 
they're in Michigan and they're going to be questioned in Michigan before they get extradited back to Pennsylvania. So once at the station, the men are stripped of their clothing and it is noted that the brothers were wearing clean clothes, but Nelson's had blood splatter on it. They then separate Frank from the other three to find out what he knows. Frank claims that he had no idea they had murdered their family and they had met at a skinhead concert in Ohio previously and had exchanged numbers. He said they called him on February 27th, stating that they would be in Michigan in the next few days and they wanted to hang out. So he's just like, yeah, come on over. No big deal. Yeah. After verifying his story, they were able to confirm that Frank had nothing to do with the murders, nor did he know about it prior to law enforcement telling him. So time to focus on the culprits. 16-year-old David, 17-year-old Brian. They separate the brothers and both refuse to speak. So they move on to 18-year-old Nelson, and he sings like a canary. I still find it hard to believe that he had no idea what they had done. I mean, that they didn't, like, talk about it at all. Well, they weren't there all that long. Yeah. And they might have been leading up to that point. Yeah. Because they weren't at the property all that long before yeah. they... So I don't know. It's kind of... Even, even if he if knew... It, I'm not saying he had anything to do yeah. with it, but that he had no idea yeah, that it I happened. Mean, yeah. I don't know what... I don't know. But anyways. I wasn't there. You were? No. So. So Nelson tells police that the brothers did in fact kill their family and that he had nothing to do with the murders. He said he found out about the murders when they were on the road. However, police believe that the blood on his shirt will prove that he was there at the time of the murders. So they don't believe this guy. So like, so uh, what's on your shirt then? Yep. Back in Pennsylvania, the DA announces that he plans to try the brothers as adults and he will be seeking the death penalty. The public defenders representing the Freeman brothers negotiate a plea of guilty if the death penalty is taken off the table. Everyone is in agreement and the brothers are to give a full and honest account of what they had done to their family on February 26th, 1995. Nelson's family pays for him to get an attorney and he does not plea or he does not plead guilty. Mm-hmm. On March 6th, Brian and David are interviewed separately to make sure their stories line up. They tell detectives that the night of the murders, the three of them went to a movie. They returned home after their 11 p.m. curfew, and Brenda was very angry. She told Nelson to leave the house, which he did, but when Brenda went upstairs, Nelson came back in. When she found out, she came back downstairs to the basement, and she was irate. She began arguing with Brian before he walked out of the basement into the kitchen, and he grabbed a knife. He came up to to his mother and immediately began stabbing her and then picked up the piece of exercise equipment and hit her over the head with it. Then, Brian grabbed the pickaxe and David grabbed the baseball bat. David went upstairs, stood over his sleeping father, and began beating him to death. Nelson watched, which is why there was that outline on the wall and how he ended up with blood splatter on his clothes. When David described beating his dad, he said that the skull being cracked was like a watermelon being dropped. He was monotoned and showed zero emotion. Now, when it came to their brother, Eric, both brothers said that Nelson took the pickaxe and killed him. Brian's fingerprints are found on the knife. David's are found on the baseball bat, but no prints were found on the pickaxe. Nelson's shirt is processed and it is confirmed to be the blood of Dennis Freeman, which explains the outline. Standing there. Yep. Yeah. The brothers enter their guilty pleas and are both sentenced to life in prison without parole. 
When asked why they did this, they both said they hated their parents for forcing religion on them. Hmm. I think this was a little extreme. Yeah. I mean, another couple of years, you're out of the house. Yeah. Like a year, two. Exactly. Yeah. And you don't have to worry about it anymore. Right. So it's just awful. Yeah. Nelson Birdwell maintained his innocence and refused to take a plea agreement. He went on trial, and on April 26, 1995, at the age of 19, he was found guilty on all three counts of murder and sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Now, something to note, no one was ever charged directly with Eric's murder. Mm. Okay? So they charged Brian with Brenda's murder and David with Dennis's murder, and overall, they all kind of collectively are charged in a way with Eric's, but not legally, if that makes sense. Okay. So there's never, no one's ever pinpointed as the one that killed Eric. So that's still kind of up in the air because the brothers are saying that uh, Nelson did it. Yeah. Nelson's saying he did not do it. Right. And there was no fingerprints on the pickaxe and there was no blood sweater of Eric's blood on. Nope. And they never found the boy's clothes they said that, that they took it off their the blood splattered clothes off in Ohio somewhere and they never found them. Yeah. So there's no way to prove who had Eric's blood on their clothes. So a part of me believes that Nelson did do it because the boys confessed to the other two. They already were getting life in prison with no parole. They knew that. So they don't really have a reason not to say that if they did it or not. Yeah. And both of their stories lined up. So which is why I think Nelson didn't stand a chance in court. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so the men are incarcerated in the Pennsylvania Department of Corrections. Brian is imprisoned, imprisoned at the State Correctional Institution in Cole Township. He's currently 45 years old. David is imprisoned at the State Correctional Institution in Mahoney. 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 <laughs> yeah. Um, and he's currently 44 years old. Nelson Birdwell is imprisoned at the State Correctional Institution in Green, which is, um, and he's 47 years old. So So all different places. Oh, yeah. 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 So, good. So this is an interesting uh, tidbit. Not, um, so after serving 20 years in prison, so around 2015, Brian Freeman gave an interview with a local news station where he expressed that he is very sorry for what he had done. And he absolutely deserves the punishment he received. And I was thinking about this. It sucks when you grow up and you realize the mistakes you made as a teenager. But when they're that drastic and there's no way you can ever move on past it. And you can't ever fix it. You can't undo it. Like I made stupid mistakes when I was a, a teenager. I remember once I told my mom to fuck off. Yeah. And I still remember where I was, what I was doing, why I said it. And I remember how badly I hurt her. Yeah. And I still feel bad about it to this day. But that was like something I could apologize for, tell her I love her, and move on past. Different than this situation. It is. But that's what I mean. Like, when he finally grew up and realized how wrong he was, it's so far gone. Yeah. You can't ever move on past that. Right. And I think that him realizing that says something but it's just too little, yeah. too late. I mean, yeah, there's no coming back from what you did, obviously. But I mean, at, I mean, at least, you know, there's some people that never feel any remorse that don't right. care about what they did. Yeah. At least he's at least he's saying, I feel awful for what yes. I, he's having some sort yeah. of realization. He's having remorse. I mean, at least he is yeah. having those. Well, feelings. and it's like 
the realization of you wanted freedom and you had well, it never for, you had, had it. you had it for two days well and you could have had it too absolutely and all you had to do is just grow up another year yep. or two but they'll never yeah they'll never have freedom yeah ever you were so close to just being able to move out just, or you know what just fucking run away fucking run away like run away from your house yep. honestly if, it, if you think your life is that bad that bad just run well, like he could have just he left. No, yeah no reason to have killed his whole family especially right. his 11 year old brother right like allowed that what to did happen. He even do? if he didn't do it yeah he allowed exactly Nelson to do that exactly he could have been he i mean regardless if he didn't do it he could have tackled nelson been like you leave yep, my brother exactly alone. right like right he was there yeah that 11 year old boy had, had nothing, nothing to, to do, do with it. it and didn't deserve to die right so it's just sad so the community still remembers the freeman family and there is even a scholarship in dennis's name at the school he worked at the family was cremated and their remains were divided among family members not the ones that killed them obviously no so let's talk a little bit about the house. So the home where the Freeman family was killed was located at 1635 Arrett Lane in Allentown, Pennsylvania. It is a five-bedroom, three-bath, bi-level home with a two-car attached garage. It is approximately 2,200 square feet, and it was built in 1978, which is when the Freemans bought it. About one year after the murders in April of 1996, the home sold for $90,000. The home sold again in March of 2017 for $155,000, and it has not been sold since. Hmm. The property's value today is approximately $400,000. Nice. And that's that's my story. There it is. I just, there, yeah. yeah, nothing else. But yeah, what do you what do you think? Yeah, I want to make it clear. I'm not telling teenagers to run away. No. I'm saying if you are that unhappy at home, find another family member to go live with. Find something. Yeah. Don't kill your Don't family. Don't kill your family. Like, there's a, there's a different solution, is all I mean. Yeah. Like, I'm not telling people to go run away from home. No, but just like. Just want to make that clear. Like, if you're, really like, quick. sitting there with the way and the options, like, should I just kill my family or should I run away? Yeah. Run away. Yeah, absolutely. Because just want to make that clear. Because at least you can at least clear your head and figure things out, hopefully, that you don't get sold into sex trafficking and follow deeply into drugs and right. whatnot. But, but just, just but there's it, other options. Yeah. Don't don't do it. Don't kill your family. Like, I think that should be the number one moral of your number life. One, number one takeaway yeah, here. Yeah, from here. Don't kill your family. Don't do that. So, but yeah, that's the story of the Freeman family murders. Thank you for listening. Yeah. Good job. That Thanks. was a sad, sad one. This is a sucky one. I mean, one. listen, most of these are sad. You don't usually leave yeah. these saying, well, that was happy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't like it when we have to talk about a kid dying, but no. Um, yeah. So be sure to join our Facebook group, Home is Where the Murder Is. Follow hey, us guess on- what? When well, you listen to this, we'll be going to New York. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Oh, my yeah. God. I'm so excited for New York. So, yeah, because this is coming. This is Monday, and we're leaving on Friday. Oh, my gosh. I cannot wait. Yep. Cannot wait to tell you all about that trip. Well, actually, we'll post pictures and stuff, but still, it's going to be great. Yep. I'm so excited. Uh, yeah. Follow us on Instagram. Home is where the murder is. Uh, be sure to check out our website. I did just update it. I put our favorite yep. episodes on there, and all you have to do is click on the picture of the episode and it'll take you right to it so you can listen to it which for me that was a huge win yeah good job robin did a good job yeah so check out our new website uh home is where the murder is at uh home is where the murder is dot com yep that's the website and then uh the only other update i have is 
Oh, God. What was it? I wrote it down. That her name's Robin. Oh, and it's not Molly. The giveaway. Yeah. I finally have it done and ready to go. Oh. It's at your house. Oh, cool. I don't know if you saw it. No. Oh, God. I left the stuff at your house. Okay, cool. Okay. So we're going to be doing the giveaway. I'm going to post that this week. Cool. So, yeah. Yay. Okay. Great. Well, everybody have a great day. And Yes. Thanks for listening. Yeah. God bless. Less stress.